White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 All right, welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm here, as always, with Lance Brozdowski. Another one bites the dust, dude. Michael Kopech. Michael Kopech, the rain god, the man that apparently the only thing that could stop him was rain, we thought, but now it's a UCL tear. (laughs) Oh, man. And, and, And this piggybacks right on top of Shohei Otani. I know he's no longer a prospect, but he was obviously coming into the season. And I think that um, long term, his development and what happens over the next couple of years um, could sort of, you know, change a lot of the way development is handled throughout the game and the amount of two way prospects we potentially see. So I think that's an interesting angle to it, too. So Kopech, though, this is like this just happened. This is hours old. So what's your take, man? This is sad. I'm, I'm upset. I'm- it just happened so quick, too. Like, I feel like with other guys, we kind of get a little desensitized. You know, oh, he's got stiffness. Like, oh, you Darvis has stiffness or someone like that. And then he eventually goes down. You're like, all right. Like, you had it in the back of my head. The actual actual event occurring didn't really disturb me too much. But this was like 
I, I get he had a velo drop. I think I was seeing that, but I didn't, I didn't realize that from seeing his last start. I guess maybe he was just down a little bit. I figured you know, days where guys' velo is down. Like, I know Eno Saris has a lot of research and saying that over a prolonged time is definitely uh, an injury risk, but this seemed like it was a little bit of an acute instance to me. Like, I, I, I'm just so bummed because I, I was all in on him. I enjoyed watching him so much. I was like, I just thought he was unbelievable in terms of his pitch mix. He had three pitches. They all looked unbelievable. I think each of them he could get plus whiffs with. He's going to be a 12K per nine guy. His control was okay. You know, I think that he was going to be one of those guys. Maybe he's a second half starter, needs some time to kind of get going. Maybe we see that next sure. year in 2019, but now we have to wait till 2020 to see that. And I'm I'm bummed, man. I'm really bummed. This was so quick. It's just kind of none, of the, none of the arms. Like none of the arms I was really excited about coming into the year really have, have made it through the year entirely healthy. I mean, true. you know, we've seen Mackenzie Gore is probably the least third time. injured. Yeah. Yeah. You know, injured of the time. group, but you know, he's not a, a t- not a Tommy John guy. No. We have Hunter Green, who's sort of hanging in the in the in the balance now, whether he's going to have Tommy John or not. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that surgery hasn't taken place. Um, Brent Honeywell, I know it's throwing again, but we lost him. Yep. Um, Sixto Sanchez, it was rumored about potentially having Tommy John. Obviously, he's going to be pitching in the Arizona Fall League, which is good news, but he's been inj- injured the entire season. Uh, Forrest Whitley, between the, the the suspension and then on top of the suspension, you know, all the games he's missed with a variety of injuries. It's like every single, you know, all these guys are constantly hurt. It's not just like once in a while. No one seems to be getting through the season healthy. I, I It's, it's remarkable because uh, there's a lot of talented arms right now. And I feel like all the guys were excited about whether it was just from, you know, maybe the guys who were two years off, but just had the biggest stuff like a six toe or whoever. And then the guys that were sort of on the cusp of the, of the major leagues and like a Honeywell or Kopech, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've taken some serious hits. I mean, who's left now? I mean, and what do you, and what do you do? What do you do with a Kopech now on a, on a top? Pulled you know, a top 100 list. I mean, do you keep him where he is? Uh, like he's going to be out for a year. I mean, You're I, just I feel selling like he, at pennies, you know, it's one of those things. Like I, uh, I'm so, I'm so torn. Like, I just, I don't know if I invest in an asset like that. I'm not, cause I don't think it discounts uh, the players so much. I just think it, it, it puts, especially the list. Like I make, it puts current value in perspective. His trade value has to diminish a little bit in a dynasty league because he's going to be out for a year. I mean, it's just oh, one hundred percent. Anyway, yeah. So I think therefore he's got to move back on a fantasy yes, prospect correct. list a little mm-hmm. bit. So I, I just think like you know, throwing some context in there, and it stinks because because I was excited about Kopech. I watched I, I you watched, watched, you watched every single one of his yeah, starts for sure live mm-hmm. except for this one. So mm-hmm. I don't know about the velo drop. I actually didn't see that. Um, just been catching up on a you know a couple of things the last few days. Busy. Mm-hmm. Busy uh, personal life right lately with some stuff going on, but uh, nothing bad, nothing bad, nothing like that. But um, <laughs> good, good. you know, just busy. So yeah. anyway, what was he down to? Because I know so I'm gonna like, pull it up. Yeah, I didn't see the like either. Like ninety-seven most of the time in his previous starts, but which is fine. It's kind of where I want him. You know, I, I have no problem with him sitting ninety-seven because I thought he kind of easily got that, and it wasn't like he was reaching back and really you know looking for the lightning. But so they had yeah, him. I don't know. They had him 97 in his first start, 96 in his second, 96 in his third, 94 in the most recent. So about oh, a wow. three yeah, it seemed like it was decreasing for a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, maybe you attribute that first game to hype. Like, I think that that's a, a reasonable thing to say that that's adrenaline-based is that first game. Like, I, yeah. I guarantee he had adrenaline in that game well, just he, pumping. And he was wild he, in that game, too. So, like, this 97 is inflated. And then you go 96, 96 96, 94. It's like, ah. Uh. Less, 
I wonder about the number of pitches because there was a rain delay in the last one and then he came back out. And it's funny because part of me, like, you know, and I don't know if it's necessarily like trying to rationalize all this. I was like, if he hadn't come back after the rain delay this time, like, Mm. would he have not gotten hurt? (laughs) <laughs> it seems like I wonder. I wonder honestly. I don't if think the, there's probably a direct correlation, but yeah, it's just one either. of those things you just like. Ugh. I, I wonder <laughs> if the if the White Sox had some idea that maybe this was occurring. Maybe there was problems. Then just really, really good job of keeping it internal, and then eventually went for an MRI, blah blah blah, and waited a little bit. Like I, I wonder. I think that's a reasonable possibility to think that. I don't think they would have called him up. Maybe it occurred in like that first game where he comes out and he's like, hey, I'm a little stiff, but he didn't tell anyone. And then Rick Hound's like, okay, cool, we're going to monitor it. They give him a couple more starts, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they go and get a, a full MRI or something, and they're like, yeah, it's torn. But I, I also, at the same time, don't – I guess maybe I'm just ignorant in terms of how quickly these things arise because I feel like in the past it's been longer timetables for guys. So we, we see other injuries. We see stiffness here, stiffness there, forearm stiffness, you know, bicep stiff – or tricep stiffness, two of the sure. biggest muscles, I believe, that protect the elbow itself. And – I, I, maybe you see that sniffness before and you start to go, oh, maybe the UCL is going to collapse in a bit. But this just seems so insane to me. Just so quick. It seems so quick. And that's what bummed well, me out the most, I think. But they were giving him innings. I mean, they it wasn't were, like, yeah. So know. that's another reason why I think that maybe it wasn't one of those things they just kept quiet, you know? It's like, I, maybe yeah. it actually did just happen in his last start and Copic's like, yeah, I feel really weird. Let's get an MRI. And they were like, sure. And they were like, wow, it's actually torn. Like that seems to be the most logical, I guess, instance, even though it's kind of crazy. <laughs> In my experience, that's typically the way injuries happen, though. Like, I don't feel like I... True. I, like, maybe, I, maybe I'm mis... Because I don't look at it as necessarily, like, is it a wear and tear thing? And maybe that's a question we don't necessarily know the answer to. Is it a wear and tear thing, or is it just, you know, a one-time, you know, bad acute, motion? Acute right? versus like, chronic, yeah. I don't know. Exactly. Acute versus chronic. Yeah. See, there you go. Get scientific with me, Lance. That's why we have you on the podcast. <laughs> I got to ask my buddy Will Carroll. <laughs> in- I got to ask injury expert. I'll-, I'll shoot him a message after the show. And yeah, I, and, and I see, I don't even, I don't even want to like, you know, g- get into yeah, it too deep because I don't know. I'm not I don't either. Yeah. Stuff. I'm not that smart. And, and <laughs> We're just guessing. It's We're not hypothesizing. My job. Exactly. Yeah. It's my job to like prospects and tell you who you want to add. <laughs> That's who I am. Awesome. Ralph, we have a we have a mailback show, Ralph. This is the first time we've done this. I'm pretty excited, man. It's gonna be fun. So we have about 15 questions we recruited from various outlets. It seemed like everyone was responsive, more so on Twitter. So I've pulled more from there. I pulled some from prior Rasball Prospect podcast posts on Rasball.com. And we have also pulled from the Prospects Live email. Prospects Live obviously is a little endeavor. Me, Ralph, Jason Waddell, Jason Panini. And I'm probably missing someone, Matt Thompson and Jacob Zubek. I'm going to completely butcher his name there. I think that's right. All right. All right. So five of us or so are going to start. Prospects Live. Prospectslive.com. Yes. We're going to be launching contests soon, yes, too. Sir. We have, uh, we're going to have uh, Jason Perini and Jason Waddell down at Instructs giving us yep. some, you know, firsthand looks at some of the new international guys that, free, that have recently signed, um, as well as, you know, just a, a multitude of players from all different levels, even probably some major league guys that are rehabbing. We might've forgot about that always seems to come up during instructs. So, uh, we have lots of information there and, uh, most of my writing is probably going to be over there. Uh, come October 1st, we get some big news in the works there. So, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll hang on to that for now, but, for sure. uh, yeah, I know. I, I want to get into this mailbag. Do we get any crab army questions in there too? I didn't get any crab army questions in there. I don't think actually. Maybe I just was inept in going maybe, back and looking. Maybe you just but, uh, ignored them. I might have ignored them. Do we get a lot from that? Maybe we'll do some bonus. I ones have at to the call end. you out. I have to call you uh-huh. out to, to make sure that uh, you know <laughs> the, hi- the hierarchy or whatever the uh, crabanon is saying now. Yeah. In the chat. 
Uh, if you've been catching up with that, I don't know if you've seen that. No, but I haven't. I haven't. I've been out of that display. Slack. We have our own in, internal Slack conspiracy theorist that's that's oh. under an assumed name that's uh, trying to expose all types of dirty tricks that apparently me, you, and the, uh, as he likes to call it, the elites of the <laughs> last 30 are involved My in. My team is so. garbage. So I don't know who I'm exploiting. <laughs> yeah, Traded yeah, for Hunter that. Green three days before he went down with the UCL problem. Yeah, there was that, no value. That, that trade we made on air where I traded you Domingo Santana did not go well. <laughs> no, 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 no. And my massive plan in that was to trade Hunter Green straight up from Mackenzie Gore at one point because I've been a Gore proponent for a while. And, of course, now I cannot do that at all. And it would have been great if you just get me through the end of the season with Hunter Green. I think i make that trade in the offseason, no problem, especially with all the Gore problems. You know? Like, maybe, I don't know, maybe right. the Gorner loves Gore. But I, I thought in my head, I was like, if I get Hunter Green for this package, I get and flip him for Mackenzie Gore. I like Mackenzie Gore better. I'm happy. I'm sitting on Mackenzie Gore. And I can't do that now. There's no way anyone's going to take green for gore so all right ralph we gotta get this going i'm excited for this so we're doing we're doing 15 questions i'm gonna set a five minute timer and it's gonna buzz i hope you can hear the buzz when it goes off um and we're gonna run through them you know maybe we'll finish it prior to the five minutes maybe we'll finish it after the five minutes in which case we'll have to wrap it up really quick and kind of around the horn style i'm definitely stealing this from them absolutely um but i'm excited for this it's gonna be fun some good questions from people so i'll read the person's name i'll read the question i'll start the timer ralph number one from at friars on the farm per twitter where does Luis Patino land on the MLB pipeline top 100? Now, I thought this one was interesting. I'm going to toss him a little qualifier here because he specifically says, where does he land on the MLB pipeline top 100? So I guess we could kind of answer, where do we think he'll land there if he lands? And then where does he kind of maybe now nest on ours? Because I think those are two different questions based on the historic kind of where MLB pipeline tosses guys. So I'll start this with you, Ralph. What do you think? Yeah, just trying to get into the head of like Callis and Mayo on this one. Yeah, right. And... It's weird because I feel like there's times where they really overvalue particular safe floor pedigree guys. So some of these more toolsy, I guess he's not toolsy, but more like big stuff, kind of electric sighting starters. They're kind of funny on like they're, they're, they're inconsistent in terms of how they rank them. So mm-hmm. I do think Patino will be or, or Patino will will be on the top 100 it's going to be somewhere in like the 85 to 100 range but there's mm-hmm. like a 35 to 40 percent chance he doesn't make it so that's almost exactly I'm leaning he makes it I'm leaning that he makes it but I think it is really really tight that that it happens but they've had rankings that have surprised me like Cal Quantra, like out of the draft, like Brandon McKay out of the draft. Mm. Some of these guys were ranked so much higher than anywhere else because like they're really in the like college starters that like throw strikes, you know? <laughs> so it's just kind of trying to figure out what their flavor is. So I'm going to say pipeline wise. Now for me, it's easy picking Louis Patino over Weathers, Hudson, Dunn. Yep. That's exactly Bass. what I had written down. Actually. Now, if I had to rank those guys, it would be. Patino done pretty close Baz third weathers and then Hudson. I'm not a huge Dakota Hudson guy. I think Mm -hmm. he's going to be a back end starter with, you know, decent stuff or maybe even like a multi inning guy, like Chris Davinsky. Like that's what I've always thought Hudson was get that funky mechanics and stuff. I I don't, I don't think he's in the same conversation. And from what I've seen of Ryan weathers, I'm just not, he looks okay. He throws strikes. Mm -hmm. I'm just not impressed. 
Yep, I'm, I'm there with you. No, because that, that's exactly what I had written down. I looked at the last kind of three or four guys that the MLB pipeline had in that window. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking between 90 and like 110 because I know like Cal Samuel definitely come up with a list of like 200, probably 250, and then cut it to 100. And I'm sure <laughs> they have pretty good debate over it, honestly. But so, yeah, I'd go above, above Weathers on him. You guys seem to be pretty high on Justin Dunn. I still kind of don't haven't formed a full opinion on him, but I definitely think that from what you guys are saying, and you know, I definitely believe what Jason Waddell says, that he's probably right there even with Patino. And then Baz, again, high risk here young kid and the same with weathers too i probably would go weathers above baz simply because i think i'd rather bet on the control and a little bit of body projection with weathers i saw him live i didn't really get much of a look at all actually i was kind of bummed on that because only three innings super quick but you know he seems to be pretty confident in his stuff i don't i can't say i'm in love with the mechanics but i'd start to get in my own head and figure out you know how do you analyze a kid who you know maybe doesn't extend too well you think maybe could get into his body more and create those create better mechanics but like presently still has decent stuff i still like the curveball it's not as good as mckenzie gore's curveball but it's it's good. Like he's good. He, I don't know if you justify him as a as a first round pick. I think you have to kind of wait a little bit because he's so young. I know that the Predators probably betting off the the track record or the legacy there too. And that's the thing that a lot of teams I think actually take into consideration whether you want to believe it or not. And then I agree with Dakota Hudson too. I probably have him below Baz. So I would go I would go Patino Bun Dunn neck and neck. I'll agree with you on that. Then I'll go Weathers Baz yeah. Hudson. So I guess our, we guess we shrug for this. We don't really know what Python's going to do. I'm really, I'm really high on Dunn too. Mm-hmm. So, and, and a lot of it is like, I've, I, I mean, I've got more recent looks than even Jason has on Dunn. That might change in a couple of weeks, but, um, I like, like he added the splitter. He was throwing four pitches yeah. when I saw him, um, back at the end of July. So, you know, it's been a little bit more than a month. I mean, he's had it up and down starts, real athletic repeats. Well, the stuff is good. You know, he's got some smoke with a fastball, but he's pretty consistent, like, you know, 93, 94 um, sliders. Good. He's got a changeup that he really relies on. He was re- throwing this changeup a ton. And, and that's the biggest thing with the changeup is do they have confidence in it? Does it have shape consistently? And do they throw, throw up for strikes? And, and Dunn does all those things. So um, I think it's really high praise for uh, Patino. And I just think it's because his stuff is so good. He's so exciting. He's a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, the other part of that question was where would I have him in my yeah, top one hundred? That's another one. Which for which you is probably outside, question. right? Because you tend to you tend to push down value. I'd yeah, probably be there but, too, though, honestly. But like the pr- yeah, but the problem is I also I also fall in love with certain arms. And there's guys like I'm really high on Sixto. I'm as high as anybody in terms of how I rank mm-hmm, Sixto mm-hmm. Sanchez. And um I think I was wrong. I should have had him down probably like 20 spots. So I'm still kind of evaluating that. And, and with all these guys getting hurt, it's just, it's so tough fantasy wise, trying even real life wise, just for me to put that much value in pitching, because we think Michael Kopech is better than maybe Kyle Wright or this guy or that guy. And then all of a sudden Kyle Wright is in the major leagues, you know, striking out Jackie Bradley and he's losing his bat and his elbow is fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost I'll like to rank, to rank pitchers. I just want, I want MRIs as opposed to statistics. <laughs> and then, and then I can come back and to be like, can I deductively work like off of each statistical, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. measure, and then I can build a pitcher and think, okay. Um, I, I, so I don't know. I, 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 I think he's easy top 200. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say he's top 150. I would agree. I, I get him in, inside my top 120 if I talk myself into it. I don't think he's in my top 100 because it's just reserved for so many bats. Yep. And and the funny thing is, like, when we made my list and, and we debated a little bit and you put some things in it to check, 
now, like, I wish I like was even more aggressive on some of the young guys. Like, so that's the young a late question of ours here. Don't worry. The last is question crazy. is actually so we'll, related. We'll to get to that in a minute. Then okay. Then that we'll get crazy that in buzzer in the background was the buzzer. I I, I, <laughs> I thought it would be more of an alarm, but uh, it was a very odd noise. So I'm gonna jump to another one now. But uh, we went a little over there. I didn't want to stop her off on the rant. That was a good rant there. So we're gonna go to number <laughs> two right now. I'm gonna start this. This is from Danny Paste on Twitter at Danny Paste. Given his positional restrictions, how good of a fantasy prospect is Nate Lowe? This one seems a little bit more succinct in terms of what we'd be able to answer. I'll kick it to you, Ralph. Uh, Give us the spiel. So uh, I think Nate Lowe is a top 50 fantasy prospect. I think you could probably make a case, you know, when you measure an ETA um, and the fact that he's going to be an American League guy, so we'll have that opportunity to DH um, and not have to rely necessarily on being an everyday first baseman for for Tampa. Um, I think he's, you know, you can make a case that he's top 25. Because there's power there, there's contact, um, there's mechanical adjustments that allow that have been discussed and shown that allowed him to tap into a raw skill that he's had for a long time. That 70 raw power grade was on him from a lot of evaluators coming into 2018. Nothing changed in terms of that raw power. That was there. He just finally found the ability to get into it. And the thing that's beautiful is he was able to pair that with a really, really good approach, a good con, you know, a good hit tool, you know, good, good contact, good bat to ball skills. Um, and just, you know, a polished approach to the plate. And if you watch Nate Lowe, you know, he, he mashes mistakes, you know, he, he, you know, definitely makes pitchers pay. He's a power hitter. Um, but he also will take what the pitcher gives him and, you know, he'll go the other way if he has to. I mean, like, so he's not a guy that I think is, is ever going to struggle in terms of hitting for, uh, an acceptable batting average. And that's a big thing. I mean, mm-hmm. batting average scarcity is reality right now with, you know, if you're in five by five leagues that don't include, um, OBP, then, you know, the, the whole three, three outcome sort of hitter in that mold is definitely having an impact in your bottom line and what the best average is. It's going to win your league. So a guy like this that could potentially power, you know, pair a 280 average with 30 homers and maybe a hundred RBIs, if he's in the right positions to knock in that many runs, I mean, we all know that's also, you know, ranked on a bunch of different, sure. you know, uh, comes down to a bunch of different factors, but ultimately I think that's what drives Nate Lowe for me is the fact that he walks a ton, doesn't strike out a lot, puts the bat in the ball, puts together, you know, um, good at bats, really good approach to the plate, doesn't swing at junk and, you know, doesn't just always look for the home run. He's a, he's a, a a well developed hitter. So even though the age, you could throw that out the window, that was just a matter of where he was when the tweak, you know, uh, sort of took place and he took off from there. We've seen how many levels he's risen Uh, in a lot of organizations. I think he'd probably be getting some major league time right now. And maybe that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest knock, right? If we're going to play devil's advocate is how long will Nate Lowe be in the minor leagues next year uh, yeah. due to some depth actually at the position too. I mean, they got Jake Bowers. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know what they're going to do there. I know he can play a few different positions. They have the DH, but we also know they like to platoon. So how many at bats does he ultimately yep. get? That's the, that's the downside. The player itself. This is, this is one of the better uh, uh, power hitters in the upper minors right now, in my opinion. 
I feel you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more interested. I think that you see the double A to triple A jump, and you see some definite regression in terms of both strikeout and walk rate. And you see a little bit more of a normalized bat, but I think that he's carrying to the major league level as opposed to riding like a 350 to 390, which he did for most of his career. So I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm more lukewarm on him than you. I just think maybe I take a little bit deeper of a breath in terms of a guy like this who I believe mainly is going to play first base, where we know that's deep. For me, he lands as like a, maybe a top... 50 to 100 fantasy prospect and then like when you convert that into fantasy value year over year if he gets a starting role where he's starting 120 games or so you know maybe he turns into like a, a perpetual you know i guess 150 overall to 200 overall 125 or 200 overall kind of in that window where you see like guys like josh bell who are lefty bats who get a majority of the playing time strong side of platoon where they can hit we think there's some sneaky pop we think there's a chance for average as well but maybe there's gonna be some time where he has to adjust back and figure it out and I, I guess maybe I'm a little more lukewarm on, on Nate Lowe than you. But um, I don't know. I think that it's – in terms of the fantasy specifically with him, I just – I think there's a lot of first basemen. And I do – I get the fact that there's the average there, which is one of the reasons why coming into this year, I was very high on Josh Bell. I like Josh Bell a lot. I think it landed him in a lot of leagues, and it kind of screwed me over. But I was betting on the average there. So I guess that that's the plus. This is the plus <clears> side <throat> of this is that I don't think Nate Lowe is going to have a crap average at the major level. And that's where it's a pretty good floor for him. And I, I don't know. I'll make, I'm, I'm I'll a, make a bold. I'll make a bold statement. Okay. I would actually draft Nate in a, in a starting a st- 20 seconds in a startup <laughs> dynasty league in a startup dynasty league. I would draft Nate Lowe before Josh Bell. Okay. Okay. I see that. I think you have a little bit more of the embedded upside there. What's their age difference? Let me see if I can pull this up. Nine probably seconds like left two, on my timer. Two, two years, probably uh, wrong. Josh Bell. All right. Three seconds Two. it's going to go off in a second. Oh, I like that alarm better. That's a good one. Yeah. Josh Bell's 26. So you got the yep. three years of difference. You get the switch here in Josh Bell versus the lefty and Nate Lowe. Okay. Which I don't think it's okay. all that bad. Yeah. That may be us. I, I'm interested in that. I like and it. He's Ralph. a lefty I think that's hitting a good first baseman, man. And he's a he's a big boy. And I just think that I think the skills will translate. And we're talking about twenty eight games in AAA that still weren't like absolutely dreadful either. I mean, he True. still had a uh what a seven eighty seven uh OPS, which is a little bit under what you want to see, but you know, this is a guy that prior to that, you know, his prior 102 games between high A and double A, he hit 23 homers. So mm-hmm. maybe he's a little tired, too. I mean, it's a lot of games. That's a good point, too. And Absolutely. this is the first level where, um, well, you know, where his, his uh, walk rate wasn't double digits. And that's since the beginning of his professional career. So yeah. I think there could be a little bit of an adjustment there. And we could we could see uh, further improvement. But I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, like, I, I like Nate Lowe. I think he could start right now. I love it. All right, number three, Ralph. I'm going to start this one off. This one's a little more theoretical, which I like. I, I was hoping we get some kind of theory questions in here. I'll leave this one off. Sure. Um, this is from Tyler Paisley. This came via email to the Ask Prospect, Ask Prospects Live at Gmail account that we can always we always field questions on that. So if you have any questions, you're listening, and you don't want to hit us up on Twitter, you don't really use Twitter, feel free to email it there. I know someone is checking that account probably a couple times a day between the five of us. So this one comes again from Tyler Paisley. Um, is there any reason why the Cubs as an organization have struggled to produce top 100 type pitching prospects minus Dylan Cease, who is obviously not a Cub anymore? I'll leave this off. I, I want to preface this by saying that in situations like this that, that talk more about theory around an organization, player development, and how they're drafting, I tend to punt to someone who has a much better understanding of the organization itself or someone with who's interacted with it, someone in the industry who's able to talk to people who have drafted, understand, you know, what's going on with their pitching, do they need, you know, was there, was there a conscious decision to go with hitters, et cetera. So 
I don't know how accurate my opinion is, but my theory is that what they wanted to do, and the reason this goes back to the reason why they've struggled to produce top 100 type pitching prospects is, is the fact that they have consciously targeted college arms, high floor college arms, who aren't going to probably end up in the top 100 simply because they're drafting really late in drafts. They're drafting between 20 and 30 every year. Those guys aren't, you know, you get about 8 to 10 to 12 of those draft prospects hitting the top 100, maybe in consideration for the top 100. And, and, and you know, like in 2017, they went Alex Lang, Brandon Little. They go Abbott, Oldman, and Thompson. They go their first five picks. Four of them were righty arms. One was a lefty arm, obviously. And to me, as the, as the Cubs, what you're sitting there as Theo doing is, I want guys who will be able to produce as soon as possible to your timetables on these guys in 2017. Let's get them in. Let's get them in there in 2020, 2019. Let's have them be, you know, potential starters if we think that after seeing them for a couple of years between South Bend and Iowa and et cetera, you know, we, we could understand them as starting pitchers. Or if not, let's just convert them immediately relievers. We get depth. We're able to kind of mitigate maybe some of the damage. Maybe we go into the bullpen strategy. Maybe we go into try to mitigate some of the uh, innings on guys like Lester and Quintana and Kyle Hendricks, et cetera, and bring these guys in and piggyback them or something. I think that's honestly what the Cubs were thinking when they drafted all these college arms in 2017 and in past years. And that's really it. I just maybe I don't want to say that their scouting isn't good because I, I don't. I don't think it's poor. I just think that how they've drafted has set them up to go with more high floor arms that haven't really allowed them to create a guy like Dylan Cease again. And it's real. The other thing I'll mention very quickly, I'm gonna pass it back to you, is that it's really hard to find a top 100 arm. You know, like that's tough. If you're not drafting the top 15, like you gotta sure. you gotta really hit on an international guy, or you gotta hit on someone in that window or like in the second to fourth round window that you're just really confident and you develop well enough to break into that so you know they had albert alzale who was i'd say maybe on that cusp for a little bit and then obviously went down with an injury and another pitcher i'm de de la de la cruz i want to say is another one again right on the periphery with control problems and they both go down with injuries and now there's no way they're a top 100 whereas prior i believe they'd be in consideration so that's kind of my theory here i don't know how true it is again i want to punt to anyone with better knowledge of the team and the system and player development but that's where I come down on it based on how they drafted. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it comes down to like, like exactly what you said and sort of philosophy around arms because they've had a lot of arms over the years. They actually have drafted a lot of, um, you know, guys in the last like five to six years, even beyond this most recent class in 2017. Yeah. But the thing that they haven't done nearly at all, and it's a little bit unusual, is they, they haven't gone after a lot of prep arms. And I think that True. sometimes after the first, let's say, 60 to 70 picks, you really tend to hit on prep arms in that three to like 10 or 11th round. That's where like the nationals or the, like there's a lot of teams that go into that area and they sort of pick off these good prep arms. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, right-handers that uh, maybe, you know, throw in like the low 90s or something like that, but have a little bit of control, but you know that they have a projectable frame. So they're a little bit more of a project and it may take that year of investment, but they haven't had a lot of guys like that. I mean, you, you go through the arms in the system and for the most part, um, they've been a majority of international guys that are kind of fringe, like you said, you know, De La Cruz and, and, and Adzole. Um, and then that, that other kid is, is totally escaping my memory right now too. Um, I could check the uh, prospects list. Those are the two that just came to mind when I was rattling off. Yeah. He might even, he might even be off like a, like, like a, like a top 30 right now because, uh, Braylon Marquez. No, no. Uh, trust me. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up in a minute, but, okay. um, 
you know, I, I, I think one of the, the, the biggest issues is probably where they're drafting and yep. the last few years and, and just more than anything else, who they're targeting, like even the guys they've gone after, they've really gone after very high floor guys. And there's been some reaches. There's been some times where guys like Brandon little, there are better arms that were still available when they went for a little. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're 2017 back half strategy. Was so weird, I, 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 you know, around. maybe you don't want to, you, you don't want to knock the scouting, but I think to a certain extent, you got it. You got to knock the scouting a little bit. <laughs> yeah. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. I agree with you there. All right. That was, that was good timing on that one. Awesome. Okay. Next one. Let me start this timer. Let me reset the timer. This one comes from Millie127 also to the Prospects Live email. This is question number four. Who are a few teenage prospects with some serious helium who you could see in the top 50 that aren't in your top 100 right now? I'm going to kick this to you, Ralph. I think we're going to come down on some similar guys here, but I still think it's a fun conversation to have. I figured out the Cubs prospect too. Jose Albertos was the one I was thinking. Oh of. yes. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Big stuff. Everyone was really excited and he just fell off the, the map. He couldn't find the strike zone, but yep. all right. So repeat the. Yeah. Plans, I was are, focused on trying to find <laughs> out who that guy was. No problem. Who are a few teenage prospects with some serious helium who you could see in the top 50 that aren't in the top 100 right now? Who? You want me to start uh, this? I got some in my head. You do. I do. Yeah. And I think they're going to be similar ones that you come down on because it's, it's kind of a cop out, but I'm going to start with two guys. Nolan Gorman and Jared Clinic are the two okay, that fine. I think yeah. are kind of cop out answers there that you, I'll, I'll you go can for land a on. You can okay. Go for okay. I'll go for those two. I have a couple others here too. And one of them I think is your boy. So I think you'll agree with me, but, but those two are the obvious ones just because they're outside the top 50 right now. Maybe some people have them inside their top 50. I think I'd probably come around right around the top 50. So it is a bit of a cop out. I think that both those guys can make improvements over the next couple of years that can land them inside most top 50s, almost all top 50. If not, especially on Gorman, he's had some struggles in Peoria on the second half here. He's striking out a little bit more. Understandable. He's seeing more left-handed pitching. He's going to have to adjust back. I still think he's kind of in that 21, 2021, 2022 timeline, which is going to take some development. And then Kelnick, too, is another one. Um, again, I think that he – I really like him overall. I liked him coming out of the draft. My opinion hasn't been changed too much from that. And I still land on those two guys. And then some others I came up with. O'Neill Cruz is one, and I think you might agree with you, Ralph. Again, I was looking specifically for teenage prospects. So if he was 20 or above, I wasn't going to him. I know there were a lot of guys who were like 20, 21, who I was like, they can definitely make a jump. But O'Neill Cruz is another one who, man, I still can't get over this kid 6'6", and he can put on weight with his frame. There's, I mean, he's listed at like 175. I bet he's already at 185, 190 by the end of the season here. But um, if he adds weight and he continues to hit and he kicks up some levels, I don't see any reason why he can't pop in as like a bigger upside guy. And if he, especially if he wants to stick it short, I have a feeling with that size, he moves to third. And then I'm going to go with two homer picks with more kind of outside shots like Cruz, but two of the better younger pitching pro or excuse me, younger international prospects here in Luis Patino, who we just talked about. And Estuary Ruiz too, is another one who I think I've come around around a little bit, Ralph. I don't know if I've told you about that, but I've seen him so much and I've seen so many other Midwest league guys that I'm starting to realize that his floor is just fantastic. And maybe people are tagging him with 50 run and he's stealing 49 bases, but he's an advanced base runner. Maybe he doesn't have good straight line speed, but he's an advanced base runner. His swing is some of one of the best, honestly, 
Even if it doesn't have power, even if it doesn't have greatest plane, it's still better than a lot of the guys I've seen in the Midwest League this year. I, I've come around a bit on Estuary Ruiz. I think that those, again, two outside shot guys who if they make more improvements, if we see Patino go up to Lake Elsinore and dominate, that he could hop into the top 50 on some lists. And I think the same thing could happen for Estuary Ruiz in terms of just the pure all-around game, even if his defense is relatively poor and he can't get off second base. So those are kind of my five there, Ralph. I don't know if you agree with any of those or if you have any of your own. Yeah, no, I think those are all really, really good. Um, all those guys should probably be owned in your dynasty league. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So, if you're going so deeper, I, deeper, though, let's see. What do, you got in, what do you got in your head? Yeah, all right. So I think I'm going to go over some guys that I've probably been really high on, talked a lot about because I've been following a lot of, like, short season and rookie ball as much as I can. I, I've mentioned I'm a night owl, so I watch a little West Coast stuff. Mm-hmm. So one is a uh, uh, Diamondbacks prospect outfielder they took this year, high school kid from the Chicago area, father is actually the strength and conditioning coach for the Chicago White Sox organization. That is Alec Thomas. I mm. love this kid. He's really growing into more power, kind of has wiry strength, but he's, you know, obviously a very well uh, conditioned, really, really good athlete, incredibly athletic, moves well, moves well in the field. Um, decent hit. It's improving, but there's natural pop there. Really nice loft, the, the swing, really good bat speed. He's somebody that I'm really excited about. I think you should target him this year in first year player draft. It's going to move up a lot. Another guy that was in the same league, the pioneer league with him, uh, but on a different team angels prospect, their first rounder, Jordan Adams. I love this kid. Uh, you can go and look up all the different uh, videos uh, on YouTube of all the different sports that he's uh, showing up in. I mean, dude is like dunking. He's got videos of his, his high school, his <laughs> high school high. gym class where he's like dunking on his entire like school just for fun. And everyone's just like laughing about it. Incredible football player, but he's focused on baseball. Now he actually got injured uh, during a collision, actually maybe three or four weeks ago. I hasn't played for a little bit. So his season's over. I'm able to see a little more in instructs who knows. But um, unbelievably fast. I mean, when you, he's one of these guys that when he comes out of the box, you're just immediately, uh, you know, struck by how quickly his first step is. I mean, just unbelievable. Same thing on the base pass. So I think he's going to wreak havoc. A guy that mixes power with speed. And the hit tool isn't as bad as a lot of people think it is. So another guy that was on that same team, uh, Orem, they were really, really exciting to watch this mm-hmm. year. Uh, was Deshaun Knowles. Uh, he's 17 years old. He is a switch hitter. Uh, he's from the Bahamas and he is an unbelievable, uh, specimen and athlete. Um, great, you know, uh, hit tool guy, uh, you know, power that's definitely developing. There's some speed there as well. Um, he's a really interesting one. He needs to be old, owned in all leagues. He's almost topped, uh, five, uh, 100 for me. Another one, Wencio Perez, uh, Brian Rocio, uh, George Valera, uh, Miguel Vargas, Christian Robinson, Debbie Garcia from the Yankees. Uh, I already mentioned Miguel Vargas, I think. And then Louis Oviedo uh, is, I believe, 19, and he's okay. a pitcher for the Indians. So that so was my quick list. I yeah. like it. I like it. That was good. Well, that those are the guys I think they're going to have huge helium, and you're going to see those guys jump up into yeah. the top 100 Wonder, conversation Wonder universally. Well, maybe not Wander Franco. Yeah, he's a little aggressive. I think just, you know, maybe like we've seen with Bichette and some of these guys over the course of a year, once they get up to that full season level permanently and we get a good look and we say, oh, my God, this guy's hitting 300 and it's May 15th. Holy crap, (laughs) we got to move this guy up. Other guys have graduated. That's when the helium really takes off. Absolutely agree. All right, on to the next one here. Number five. We're going a little slow. Maybe we'll cut out one or two, but... 
Hey, oh, don't we'll, worry about it. We'll, we'll speed it up. Yeah, we'll speed it up. Millie. One, two, seven. Again, I had two actually really good questions via email, so I wanted to bring them both in. Uh, again, two more theory ones that I really liked that I thought could touch on a lot of things. This one is what qualities do you look for in pitching young pitching prospects that have helped you differentiate between guys with electric stuff who may get control eventually versus those who never develop their control? Then he has a little qualifier. He says, is there something you look for mechanics-wise or pitch selection in sequencing? Um, you want to start this one or me, Ralph? I got some, uh, I got some thoughts on it. Yeah, why don't, why don't you kick this okay, one cool. off? Yes. Go right ahead. So I think for me, more than anything, to address this question directly, it's mechanical probably more than anything, and guys who are going to develop control versus those who are never going to develop the control. And most of the time you see guys with electric stuff having relatively good mechanics and mechanics that you think maybe are prone to a little more polish that allow you to project out a little more control as opposed to a guy maybe who's a little bit otter body type, doesn't extend well, almost like Ryan Weathers. But again, you look back to Ryan Weathers, he has really good control. So it's or like, Alec well, F- Alec Fado. Yeah, another one. There you go. There's another one too. And so I, I guess more so just denying the fact that it's, that it's pitch, pitch selection and sequencing. Maybe pitch mix is something you could predict out a little bit of control. I think guys maybe who develop changeups earlier probably have a little bit better of a sense of where to place that pitch and where to command other pitches on top of that. Um, I don't know if that's 100% true, if there's a correlation with it, but if you're looking for guys, you know, like the standard fastball change guy, fastball two seam, you know, four seam change, or guys generally with a little bit better of control, and and that kind of doesn't really result in electric stuff unless you're a guy like Chris Paddock where you have a Bugs Bunny changeup style. But I guess if we're talking about the baseline of a guy with a fastball with really, really good velocity, with sharp break on those other things, I tend to just look at mechanics. I tend to go back to that and see how the guy delivers his pitches. How does he look? Is there any way I could squint and see down the road him dropping to like a 3K per nine? Or excuse me, three walk per nine, two and a half walk per nine. Like, you know, 99th percentile outcome, 90th percentile outcome in that window. Can I see him as like a 2.5 walk per nine guy if he makes some adjustments? If he pitches for long enough, you know, a lot of these guys are really young and we see it now. We see guys come up who are just not good right off the bat between the ages of like 24 to 27 or 28. And then we see guys like who just blossom when they're older. And that's just a matter of, of how hard. I think it's a testament to how hard pitching is. So I'm going to go with mechanics here. I'll, I'll try to keep it a, a precise answer. I'll say mechanics over anything like pitch selection or, or sequencing. What about you? Oh, it's tough. It's um, a big question. I tried to make my answer very pointed, but I, I know there's a ton of qualifiers and it goes case by case. I think, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to hone in on one thing because I don't think I necessarily do. I'm, I'm a some of the parts guy, especially with pitchers. It's got to be some of the parts. And the biggest thing for me above all else is the balance of the ability to miss bats and throw strikes. If I see that, then I'll dig in a little bit deeper. Um, and whether I see that, you know, live, obviously it's a little different because in the experience, you see the mechanics, you see all that sort of stuff and you see how it works. But if I can find that baseline, then you dig in a little bit more. Obviously there's guys that get your attention because of the stuff, their ability to miss bats or whatever it might be, the velocity and the fastball, look at this curveball, look at the slider. I think the other part of it is I want to see a guy that has three pitches that he throws. Okay. Um, so part of it has to be sequencing, I guess, for me. Okay. Um, because there's a lot of different ways. Like we, we can, we can. There are certainly guys in the major leagues that have ne- don't have a long injury history, that don't have the greatest mechanics necessarily to the naked eye. Now there might be some things if we break it down a little bit more that we could pick out and say, okay, this is why this guy is consistently successful. You know, his release points consistent, you know, his front, his plant legs consistent. He's consistent in his mechanics, even if they're not perfect, whatever it might be. Right. So 
it's tough for me to base everything off of that. Now, I also sure. freely admit that I don't have the depth of knowledge of it that that you do. So, you know, maybe maybe I come at it from a different angle. But sure, what I look sure. at is I want to see a guy that throws strikes, mi- mixes pitches, um, but is also able to bring a little bit more in terms of the stuff, missing bats. And it doesn't have to necessarily, by stuff, it doesn't necessarily have to be fastball stuff. Joey Lucchese has stuff. He just doesn't have a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. It might be 92, 93, um, but it's got good movement, you know, and, and, he, and he, you know, mixes it well with his changeup and his curveball. Um, so, you know, a big part of it for me with a lot of pitching prospects now is just I want a guy that mixes three pitches, can throw all of them for strikes, but they all have shape. They all have value when used. Because I think that third pitch is such a differentiator once you get up to the major league level and you got to get through that lineup a few times. And that's when the guy really has value is when he's able to get into that sixth inning, right? That's the differentiator between a guy that's a cusp major league starter, a back-end guy, or somebody who's mid-rotation potentially more than that. Mm-hmm. I like it. 25 seconds short. I'm not going to... I'm not going to let it run out. So we're going to restart and go to number six here very quickly. Uh, this is from JT on Twitter. He's actually a guy who's DMing me a ton. We've always talked back and forth. Really good kid. Um, or guy. I'm not actually sure how old he is. I think he's a little bit older, so I'll call him guy. But JT on Twitter asks, rank the <laughs> prospects, Isaac Paredes, Wencio Perez, Ezekiel Duran, George Valera, Miguel Geraldo, and Jazz Chisholm. So that's a lot of names. I'll kick it to me first just to talk. But I have it ranked as currently, and I don't know if he means fantasy or not, so I'm going to come into it just kind of with a – with blind faith that it kind of meant fantasy. And I'm going to go Isaac Paredes, one, George Valera, two. I'm going to create a bit of a gap. Then I'm going to go Jazz Chisholm, Miguel Geraldo. Then I'm going to go Wencio Perez and then Ezekiel Duran. And I'm probably a little bit more willing to mix up those back four, but I think these are the clear top two, Ralph. And that's why I created that little bit of a gap. So I'll say the names again. Um, and I got I'll kick it I'm back looking to at it on the screen. Oh, cool. Okay, perfect. I, I, and, yeah. If you if you don't know, I have a giant monitor oh. here, like like a thirty, like a thirty, like a thirty six inch light. television. I thought it was like a TV, but and yeah, then it's actually a thirty six inch TV with the, with the with the screen on it. I got yeah. everything right in front of me. The um, second the second really part second part of his question, which is actually probably a little more interesting, is what of these guys do you think is going to take the next step that isn't showing up in the box score? And I kick sure. that to Valera. Because I think that maybe it's not shown up in the box score yet, but I think this kid can become a Please top 50 it. prospect pretty quickly. <laughs> so it, and his hit tool and a lot of other things, you just give him reps, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what he actualizes in terms so, of the potential hit tool. So what do you think, Ralph? Yeah, so for me, it's Valera, uh, Paredes. Then I would go, um, just based off of recent results, I'm going to go Chisholm, Perez, Geraldo, and Duran. Okay, uh, so I think similar. that yeah. Chisel, Chisholm... Perez and Geraldo are very, very close to me. You could even swap Perez and Peraldo for me. It's fine. And I think that very soon Chisholm will be leapfrogged by one or either of those guys into sort of the conversation. Now I've seen Paredes, um, a little bit, you know, so I'll say that he is just, he is just a, a contact guy. The, the, the approach at the plate really well polished. You know, he's got a plan. He doesn't swing at junk. He's rarely fooled, but he's also a guy. And I think we've seen this and doesn't necessarily mean that somebody is, um, over aggressive at the plate, but he is prone to getting over aggressive on a pitch that he thinks he can hit and over swinging. Sometimes it leads to, you know, pop-ups, foul outs, you know, just swings and misses, I think that's the one flaw in his game right now. 
Um, the other part of it is he's not much of a fielder. So uh, I don't know where ultimately he ends up. I don't know if it's third base. I don't know if it's second base. I don't know if they stick him in left field. If he's kind of a utility guy, I do not think he's sticking it short. That doesn't have no, the body for it. It's, just, it's not going to happen. Doesn't have the hands for it. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I'm going to say that you know that's one of the things that Valera has. Valera is very athletic, strong guy. Um, I know that I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but uh, the Welsh head, you know, he's out in the AZL. He lives right next to the Indians complex. He was over there and he was chatting up Valera for like an hour. And uh, he's working his way back. He's swinging a bat again, all that sort of stuff. He's not ready for game reps, but he will be ready for instructs. So um, he's a kid that I actually ranked above Wander Franco. And coming into the season, there were a lot of people that were saying, like, his bat is, like, kind of on par with Franco's. And I think that we may see that. You know, I I think we may see that pair of pairing of power and contact and approach um, and just more in the Juan Soto sort of mold. That's, that's what Valera's prototype is. That's, that's, you know, the box you sort of throw him into. He's a Juan Soto type. And the rest of these guys are, are, are all pretty interesting. Um, I think Geraldo could jump up a ton, but he's just such a raw bag of tools right now that he could go in a bunch of different directions. But, um, Valera is my guy in this list for sure. Absolutely. I love it. How much time? 57 seconds. We're doing good here. We're going to, we're going to restart this again. We're going to jump onto the next one here. Um, where am I on my list here? Hayes, Hayes, I have Hayes. it. It says, how close does a prospect have to be for you to add him in a dynasty league? 14 team, 40 man head to head points. Interesting. I think he also had a, another component to this that I didn't want to bring in. Cause I, I didn't want to do anything team specific. Like I have these bunch of guys, which one should I cut? Like I wanted to stay away from that just cause it's so specific to one owner. I just don't think there's a lot of value talking about it to the masses. So how close does a prospect have to be this kind of, for me, I come into this Ralph, and I'm kind of like, well, it depends, number one, on contention window. It depends on team construction, et cetera, and a lot of other things as well. But, And that's kind of where I leave it. Like, if you buy into a prospect or you buy into the upside of a prospect, then you're willing to invest in him in a league like this where you have 40-man, 14-team, where you have, like, a bunch of guys owned. I'm not sure how many prospects are owned. Let's say maybe 40-man, let's say, like, 10 or 15 are owned. So that means you're getting to about 150 to 250 owned. So, you know, you look at that window. So... In that window, you've got to make sure, number one, all the top 100 guys are owned on whatever list you want to use. And then after that, you have another 40 that you could toss around. If you want to go more upside and look longer term, I'm fine with jumping down to a guy who's in that 200 to 250 window. Maybe like a guy, some of the deeper guys you were mentioning, the younger kids like Alec Thomas who might fall in there, you know, like 100 to 200, who are a little bit off but have the upside to jump up. So I think it depends a lot. I think it depends on how you want to construct your minor league slots on a fantasy team. It depends on what guys you're willing to invest in, how much risk you're willing to accept, there's a lot, a lot of components here for me. I think that it really, it's really a case-by-case question here. But um, I'm willing to take on a lot of risk, especially on later halves of lists. If you have like 10 or 15 minor slots, you know, just make sure all the top 100 guys are off the board. Make sure all the loves are off the board, especially guys who are jumping in and out. Look at fluid lists. Look at lists that are updated to make sure, you know, not missing a guy like Wander Franco, who just hasn't been on a lot of top 20s or 30s simply because the lists aren't updated. So that's where I land on this. I think it's more case-by-case basis than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking like 140 to probably like 200 prospects that are probably owned in that league. So you're, you're, you're really only looking at the top guys. So I would say, you know, as soon as, as players are available from the most recent draft, you should be trying to add up the, the best of that yeah, bunch. But, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but I think it's anytime someone sort of really pushes onto that radar, um, you know, of that sort of top 200 and they really have a lot of buzz. I think you have to go after them now. With points, I also think you can chase guys like Louis Urias, you know, a little bit more Absolutely, because sure. 
they're average guys are not going to strike out as much. You know, if you're like my points league, that's very important. Um, even in these leagues, you know, it's funny. A lot of, I know pitching is important. A lot of people will chase pitching prospects. I actually go the opposite. I think you should chase your hitting prospects, fill up your hitters, draft your pitchers, figure out how you can get your pitchers from trading out hitting prospects, uh, or hitters that make the major leagues that are young. Don't, don't bring those guys in. I would be going after as many hitters as I could, especially the high floor guys trying to find those Alex Bregman types that just do a lot of things well, but have that really good foundation of approach. And I think that's the biggest thing in head to head points league. So I would be trying to add, you know, like a Nate, like a Nate low. I would have tried to have added, added a guy like that back in maybe like may, you know, Mm -hmm. like when they really show for maybe a month and a half to two and the buzz is there, they're worth adding then. And then at worst you cut bait and you move on to the next guys that come up from short season that signed a year before or whatever. So they're eligible to be added and you just keep the system going like that. I love it. Minute 45 left, Ralph. We're killing these. We should have cut it to like a four-minute clock. I love this. Number nine here. Or it's because I, I, I got a poop. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, hey, Phil. Phil, uh, oh, man, last name here. Phil uh, Goy- Goyette, I'm going to go with. Goyette, yeah. yeah Phil, uh, Phil of oh, Baseball yeah. Farm. Yeah, yeah you know, no, he's, he's always right. I love Phil. He's a good guy. Um, I like his question. I thought it was a little more sarcastic, but I figured I'd bring it in because it was funny. Yeah, it's fun. He literally just asked, what is Tampa Bay going to do with all these middle infielders? And I, that's a really good question. You're looking at guys, current roster right now, you got Joey Wendell, Nate Lowe, you got Willie Adamas, and you got Matt Duffy around the infield. And then you go to Lucius Fox in the minors, Vito Brujan in the minors, Nick Solak, and Wander Franco. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Ralph. Trade bait? No, well, eventually. So what it's going to be, you've heard of slow release capsules. It's going to be like slow release promotions. They're going to promote <laughs> one of them every like, year. And then one by one, they're going to build up a team. They're going to trade another one out. They're going to build this guy up. And then they're going to backfill with infielders. And it's just going to be like lemmings that just never stop following each other. <laughs> and every year they're going to have a new infield. They're going to build the guy up. He's going to have a good season. He's then going to be traded away while he has four years of team control left. And then he's going to bring in more, more infielders and a pitching prospect and a player to be named later that turns out to be a top 10 pitching prospect in the team system because they're only going to trade with the Pirates and the Diamondbacks. And uh, yeah, so that's how it's going to work. I love it. That's all we need on that one. I think that's a quick one. A minute, minute 10 there. That was well done by us. Um, next yeah. one, number 10. Uh, this was from a Rasball post. I actually like the question, so I wanted to kind of form it into this. From Love the Rooks. I assume Love the Rookies just in a very, uh, very hipster way. Uh, this is from Rasball post. Huh. This wasn't submitted. I just took this because I thought it was a good one. But he said, I have a man crush on Chris Paddock. I can't get over the K to walk. Concerned about the Tommy John. He doesn't seem like a guy that keeps the high K rate at the MLB level, which I disagree with a little bit. Um, looking to trade him for Thor or Hamels for a win now team this year, but hard to let him go in a $2 deep NL only 260 league, which, and I guess all this kind of cum- culminates to the question. Um, what MLB player do you predict him to become in 2022? Uh, number one, I maybe would trade him for Thor. I would not trade him for Hamels in terms of if you're trying to win now. But then again, Thor might be shut down, so maybe I'm even not too willing to do that. But yeah, uh, what MLB players do you become? I really don't like comps, but I think you really just kind of have to sort by changeup, changeup usage, and how good changeups are. And the guy DeGrom. that. Yeah, DeGrom comes to mind. My, my two that came to mind, I don't think I, they're really good one for one comps, but I look at guys almost like like a blended Luis Castillo, Kyle Hendricks. So they're both guys who throw a lot of change-ups. Castillo is more of that Bugs Bunny style change-up. It gets a ton, a ton of whiffs in that 10 to 12 mile per hour differential. Stuff. 
his control yeah. and command Again, is significantly why, better than Castillo's, and yes. and his stuff his stuff is better than Hendricks, which is why I think it's that's Degrom. why I like the think about Degrom when he came up. He was a guy that progressed, improved. Now, of course, Paddock had the injury thing that I think delayed everything by a year. We'd already yes. have him in the major leagues had he not had the Tommy John. But now, by the way, he's passed Tommy John. He added on bulk. If you look at him, he's not a short, small guy. He's pretty yoked up. I mean, he's he's relatively strong. Um, he's got a good fastball. He's got a good changeup. He's got an unbelievable curveball. And if you've uh, heard, I've read in some interviews, maybe it was in The Athletic, with um, he's like a student of the game. He's a guy that's really into like you know the shapes yeah. of his pitches, how he's working stuff, how he sequences, getting his curveball better, the fact that he feels his curveball is underappreciated. And it tunnels really well with the changeup and his oh, yeah. fastball. So he's a guy that I think could just keep improving. We've seen, you know, Jacob DeGrom go from a guy that threw, threw like, what, 93, 94 when he came to the league. True. He was popping 98 the other day, 99 on the gun. I couldn't believe it. Like, and, then, you know, I just I think he's that kind of guy. He's got good mechanics. For me, he's just like the guy that's going to be, com- uh, you know, continually underappreciated regardless of what the numbers are, just because um, maybe he doesn't have necessarily the flash up front that some other guys do like a Kopech or somebody, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to go to Grom. I think, I think, I think Pack's going to be awesome. If he stays healthy, he's going to be awesome. I like it. How much uh, time? Uh, that was only two minutes and 20 seconds. There. Wow. We're doing really well with these. Um, next one is from a guy named Lance, who I don't know, but he sounds like a pretty cool guy. I came up with this one, Ralph. I like this one. Cause I thought that we need to revisit it. And it's really hard for me. Uh, your current top, and I, I went five to seven here just because I couldn't actually keep it to five. I felt like I was leaving too many guys out. Your current five to seven in a first-year player draft, if it has moved at all. I'm going to give you mine quick. I think there's a little bit of a bold statement in here at number two, but I'm going to start Madrigal one. Alec Boehm, I'm going with two. Jonathan Dia, Casey Mize, Nolan Gorman, Jared Klenick, and Travis Swaggerty. That's my top seven. So with Boehm, Ralph, I'm realizing that I don't think I should have adjusted down so much. And I don't think the industry should have adjusted down so much on him just because we didn't get to see him in a small sample. And I really liked him coming into the draft. I was a big fan of him. He was my number one, I think, consistently for a couple things we were looking. I know maybe Mize was in there, maybe Madrigal, India and stuff. I know you're a big India guy. But I just I don't want to jump off Boom just yet. I've been reading some stuff that the BP looked great. He's been battling some injuries. I want to see him with an offseason. I want to see him with an offseason after playing some competitive ball in the American with Wichita State. I think that that was a pretty good team. They played pretty hard through the tournament and stuff. I just want to I want to I want to take the offseason. I want to come back next year and revisit this. I don't want to fade Boom as much as I think I was mentally fading in between the time that we started kind of putting together these ranks and now when we're looking at him with all the, the production that Gorman has put up, the, how aggressive they've been with Swaggerty, Mize's dominance, Madrigal not striking out. So, again, I'm Madrigal, Bohm, India, Mize, Gorman, Kalenic, Kelnick, and Swaggerty. Where are you, Ralph? I know that you're probably a little bit different on this. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure it out. And, and I think make that sure these that... are like the seven that are in there. I think okay. that it's I, to me. I looked and I was like, I think it's tough to bring another guy into the top five. I could be wrong. Yeah, Maybe I'm missing someone. You know, I'm going to do that. You know. <laughs> You know, do that. So for me, it's Gorman one. And it's pretty clear for me now that I think you have to have Gorman one. Um, wow. I India disagree. Two. Are we getting into this yeah. another time? Yeah, I, I think you got you to go upside here. There's very few guys that have ever done what Gorman's done Fair. in terms of the power output out of high school. And the fact there's still some ceiling there for him as a player. 
Um, I and you know, and the track record of the organization being able to develop some guys into major league players. Now, I know they haven't necessarily developed every superstar yeah, yeah. or whatever, but I think I think they do a pretty damn good job. So I I do trust that Gorman gets it done. And, you know, he's one of the guys that succeeded expectations. And I think that weighs heavily. So India two, I'm not moving off of that. Okay. Boom three. So it's only been a slight adjustment. It's really more about Gorman moving up. Okay. I've moved Larnick up to four in my list because I like okay. the type of guy that he is. I like the way that he progressed. Uh, I think progresses long term in terms of yeah. what his value is um, as a hitter long term. Cause I think he, he really, um, balances the ability to play some outfield enough that he can stick there with the contact um, and the power blends that well, has the doubles power with the homers power. And I, and I think the fact that, you know, he could sort of balance the, the, the full, full tool set at the plate. I think that gives him a little bit of a bump over his teammate in college uh, Madrigal, who I think is a great hitter, but I do worry how much upside he's going to have with the power I think he's, you know, not a guy that's going to go wild in the base, the base path. So I think he will steal. Maybe he'll have a 20 steal season, but I don't think he's going to have a 30, 40 steal season. This isn't a guy that's going to turn into Jose Altuve. Mm -hmm. I don't see that happening. I think he's going to be a really good player, really good real, real life guy. Um, from the sense that, you know, he, he does a lot of little things well in the ball game. I just don't know if, if he necessarily materializes in him being a top 30 fantasy hitter. I think it's more like top 50, where I think he's on that periphery and he, and he looks pretty good. I got Jordan Adams after that, then Kalenic, then I have Alec Thomas, then I have Casey Mize. Okay, so you're definitely going more upside here and you're fading the pitcher, which I understand. Yeah, I think that and my philosophy's and, always and been I floor, like those so. guys. I really like those guys. And I think that another guy that's in the conversation as well that I would have above Swaggerty is Kyle Isbell. He outperforms. Yeah, I would take Isbell over Swaggerty. He actually played probably a higher level of college baseball too, mm. if we're honest. Isbell's uh, been crazy good. Yeah, Isbell's a really good player. There's speed, there's power there, there's contact. Royals had a really good draft. I was watching a little bit of uh, Bubek, a little uh, yeah, uh, yeah, little Stanford kid. And he looked okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. he didn't look great, but he looked okay. So, yeah, that's where I'm standing right now. I want to get really deep into it on the Prospects Live. I think we plan on doing yep. a, a top, like, 100 uh, system rank. I think that'll be a really fun debate when we get into that with the with first player draft. All right, why don't we take a break for a second and give a shout-out yeah. to... Our sponsor, our number one sponsor, my main man, Kenny Cashman. You can follow him on Twitter at Kenneth underscore Cashman. You can follow RotoWare on Twitter at RotoWare or, or at RotoWare Classic. Um, go on to RotoWare.com. Check it out. You can use our promo code SAGNOFF to get 20% off all of the RotoWare brand. Not the RotoWare Classic, but the RotoWare brand classic fantasy stuff. I know we've missed some fantasy football drafts, so you can't grab a fantasy football like draft shirt, but maybe you can order one now for your first couple of weeks that talks a little bit of smack about your bench or something, or just get one of the shirts that uh, has baseball on it because you like baseball like me and really don't care about football. I think you should do that. Or you could be like Alex Bregman and uh, Aaron Hicks, and you can go and buy the Big Al Hit Stingers t-shirt that they were rocking. It's kind of crazy mm -hmm. that Alex Bregman is wearing roto wear and is aware of the brand. So... Just so you know, this is the brand the pros wear. Like I said, 20% off to get your uh, discount. Sagnoff is the promo code. I love it, Ralph. Yeah, that was some cool stuff. I love seeing those guys wearing it. And I also got into a heated Twitter debate about Alex Bregman's MVP value, but we can talk about that on another pod. Uh, Good or bad? Pro, pro or con? Oh, I'm pro. I'm pro Bregman. Well, not he's not going to win it, but he should finish in the top five or six. So that's, that's yeah, a big for so. another day. Good. It goes, defensive it, value also. Exactly, stuff, absolutely. exactly. 
Okay, good. So we have three questions left. Let's hammer these out quick. We'll try to keep it to the five minutes each. Maybe we can cut them a little shorter. I think they could, this first one will be a little bit shorter. This is from Chris yeah. Wayne on Twitter. He wants us to rank Luis Chris. Palacios, Bryce Bush, and Josiah Gray. Ralph, I'll let you take this. Where's your, where's your ranking on the trio of guys right there? Luis uh, Palacios, Bryce Bush, and Josiah Gray. I'm going to go Josiah Gray just because I love the stuff. Fastball, love the backstory. I hear that the secondaries aren't all that bad either. Um, John Eshelman, I think, actually got a look at Josiah Gray and had a really nice report on him. I'm going to go Luis Palacio uh, second. I know that uh, I think that he is a family friend of uh, my other co-host, Andy Singleton. (laughs) And then uh, he's got a brother, uh, I think Josh uh, Palacios, maybe. Uh, That's in those system. Yeah, he was in uh, uh, Dunedin this year. And then Bryce Bush, third. Um, Gray is the guy I really like the most out of that list, though. I agree with you, yeah. I think that the backstory in terms of the two-way talent and stuff like that plays into athleticism a lot with him. That was really quick. Only 40 seconds there, Ralph. So we got we got some time. I think this last one we'll get into a little bit more. But um, this second last one is a, another a Lance question. I don't know who this guy is. But um, this, was a, this was a debate we had a bit ago, Ralph. I want to try to reignite it very briefly. Um, rest of career, Jack Flaherty or Walker Bueller? And I think we, we, we end up on different sides of this, I believe. So I'm the Walker Bueller guy. You're the Jack Flaherty guy. Make the Jack Flaherty case. Uh-huh. So I, I, I think the thing that I, the case I'm going to make for Flaherty is the control is really good. While it's not Walker Bueller commands control, I think that he balances it enough with enough funk that he misses a little bit more bats. He still limits uh, hard contact uh, very well, gets a decent amount of ground balls, obviously, as well. Um, and I just I like the repertoire of pitches that he mixes. I know it's not it's somewhat limited in comparison to Bueller who has like five pitches, mm-hmm. but he's got those three. And the other part of it is I think the durability factor with Flaherty that there haven't been, you know, any real injury concerns. You know that you can roll them out there. That's ultimately the deciding factor because I think when you go tit for tat in terms of repertoire, stuff, command, bat missing ability, you know, limit of uh, hard contact, all that sort of stuff you factor in. Um, it's pretty even. Ultimately, I think the Agreed. differentiator for Flaherty versus Bueller for me is the is the durability. I think it's obviously really close. Both these guys look at their future aces in the making if they're not already there. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the numbers that Flaherty's put up this season. But when I look at what Flaherty's done, I look at the fact that his swing strike rate is a little bit stronger, and he just seems like the stuff in terms of the 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 underlying peripherals in terms of uh, uh, plate discipline. You know what you see for the contact numbers. They're just a little bit better, even if it's mm-hmm. just, you know, in, in, you know, infinitesimal, just tiny little, you know, decimal points difference. It just seems to all be a little bit better. Then you come back to that swing and strike rate and you see it. But I think it's a pretty even contest, obviously. But I'm just going to take Flaherty because of the durability. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty even as well. I'm going to I lean Bueller. I, I want to go towards two things here. One. I, I get that there's a small difference between the Flaherty and Bueller command, but Bueller is just, just on this other level to me that I just like aesthetically on top of the actual what you the results are in terms of the walk rate and stuff like that and zone percentage and stuff. I just I, I don't think I've seen a kid this young in a really long time is able to spot pitches like he does. And like the command he has on a slider and some of his other pitches. I think that F times Flaherty is just able to with such a good pitch who I agree gets more whiffs. I just think that there's at times where Flaherty breaks out that slider and he's just throwing it for whiffs. Whereas I think Bueller methodically is able to place and sequence all of his pitches a little bit better than Flaherty. And this goes back again to the changeup too. I think that an important pitch for Bueller is his changeup. It's been terrible this year. 
but he has four other pitches that he uses peripherally. The cutter and I think the sinker very, very smallly, very lightly used. So I don't even know if you consider those full pitches. I know that some people consider like the 10% threshold, kind of like where you start to call it a pitch. So I guess you maybe you want to call him a three-pitch guy. Sure, fastball, he goes slider, then he goes change him. And the change has been terrible. But but Flaherty has never really had the feel for the change. But I know he threw this, he's kind of throwing a little bit more, but he's not really throwing as much as Bueller is, even though Bueller's is worse at the moment. I just like the confidence he has in his changeup. I like the ability and the projection I see on Bueller to be able to mitigate some of the lefty damage that might be done to him with the changeup over time if he can progress it. And I have confidence he can progress it because of his mechanics, because of his command. Going back to an earlier question is how do you project out the command or how do you project out future control of guys with electric stuff? On a guy like Bueller, you look at the mechanics, you see how smooth it is, you see his arm speed, his arm action, the consistency of that, and the ability to throw the changeup and have confidence in the changeup even if it's not good right now, is the thing that gets me the most excited about him taking another leap forward. I think what we see might see with Flaherty is a bit of stabilization here. And I think that Bueller has a little bit more of a, a crest to come up towards. And I think that he could maybe progress a little bit more. But again, really, really tight argument. I agree with, I think, I think they're really close. I think this is a really fun debate. Um, and I yeah. think it's something we're going to revisit a couple times, I bet, in the future. So I like it. Ralph, last question here. That was only a, a three minute, 30 second little debate there, which is perfect. Um, this one we can close the show with. This is from Joey on Twitter. Uh, Ralph recently came out with his top 500 prospects. This is a bigger question here, so this might kind of take a bit of deliberation. But since the list, what prospects have increased their ranking the most <laughs> other, other than Wander Franco? Because I think he's the obvious answer here. So we might have to pop over to your list and kind of go through it. And maybe we could just kind of talk through for the next five minutes or so what you think. Maybe some guys that you may, maybe I move this guy up now or maybe not. But Nolan I, I, Gorman. <laughs> Nolan Gorman, for sure, for sure. I'm almost more interested in some of those guys maybe in like the 100 to 200 window who might jump up like 60, 70 spots or so, you know, ones that maybe you were like, yeah, you know, I didn't consider this guy enough. And I, I feel like, too, also you can use the precedent of a lot of the guys who we've talked about on this podcast, especially some of these Alec Thomas-style, Kyle Isbell-style guys who maybe we weren't as – you weren't as, as, as much in love with at the time when you made this sure. list, but you've gotten looks at recently, you know, and you're able to kind of look back now and go, yeah, I, I really want yeah. that guy on this list. So if you have it up, Ralph, I'm going to pull it up. Uh, sure, guys I have it right now. So, yeah, and I think there's some guys that will move down, like Ryan McKenna will probably move down a little bit. Um, you know, like guy like Nick Gordon will move down a little bit. Mick Adolfo, just because of the injury, is going to move yep. down a little bit. Um, Michael Chavez is a guy that might move up a little bit. Gavin Lux is somebody I would probably move up. Um, Ooh, I had Kyler Murray really high. I love Kyler Murray. (laughs) (laughs) He's like my obsession. And I was high on Jordan Adams. I had a 114. So like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I had to move him up a ton. Um, Paredes. What about like a Matt Manning? Who's already up in double A. You have him at 121 right now. I think he's a guy with a bit of upside here. I think that he probably I, yeah, I think I was an aggressive with yeah, I my think it was history too, yeah. on pitch pitchers. That's a pretty aggressive yeah, rank. I agree with that. Pitchers. I agree with that. Um I think I moved Bradley back down. I've just been trying to hold on to hope with him that something mm-hmm. actually is there. How about um, Kyle Wright at 136 after seeing Louis, his major Louis Garcia from the Nationals at 128 is definitely a top 100 prospect. Okay. Got he it. is a guy that I would move up probably about 30 or 40 spots. Okay. Adam Hazley's 130. I think Adam Hazley moves up. Bryce Wilson was 129. Bryce Wilson is definitely within my top 75 right now. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Loisiga. Is that, am I saying that right? I think I it's Loisiga. Loisiga. Yeah, so yeah. Jonathan Loisiga is uh, another guy that made 131. Maybe I moved him up a little bit as I moved some of these other pitchers down. Cause he seems like he's ready and he has three legitimate pitches. Um, Kyle Wright, 136. I mean, some of these pitchers I'd move up and other guys I'd move down, but I think it's just mm-hmm. a pitch swap. Alex Fado would move down like 150 spots. 
<laughs> I way overranked him. Um, let's keep going. Xavier Edwards might move up a little bit. Vientos ahead of Leos Montero. Libertor at 177. Six. He's had a pretty good run. Young kid again, pitching. Young, yeah, but, but I still think it, I still think it's a, appropriate. It's it's more like a, a good young hitter that maybe continues yeah, to hit. Fair. Yeah, I want to move up. Those are the guys that I really feel like, you know, I, I'm not going to waffle on them a whole ton. Kristen Robinson should probably move up from 179. Um, well, what else we got? I think you're getting Everson to the point Barrera, now. Ferrero, 194, yeah. probably moves up a little bit. Buddy Reed, 234? Uh, I think he probably moves up maybe 40 spots. The mm-hmm. more I saw Buddy Reed after the the the, uh, the Futures game, I realized that I just watched a lot of the Futures game and yeah, interviews. Yeah, that's fair. They influenced me <laughs> yeah. into life. Oh, Deshaun Knowles, 206. So it's all the guys I mentioned earlier. Jeremiah Jackson is close yeah, to my top it. 10. Yeah, he's been slaughtering it. Okay, and I've watched a ton of him. He's on that Orem team again, yeah. so... He's a guy that would move up. D.L. Hall, 210, is going to be close to the top 100. He had a phenomenal year this mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orioles lefty that was drafted last year. Um, let's keep looking here. Got Danny Diaz on there. Uh-huh. The Red Sox. Red Sox hitter. I know you mentioned him. We did mention him. Yep. A little bit. Um, Tyler Widener, 228, would move up a bunch. Great year. Yep. Over the you know, it's, from the it's, yeah, it's, it's tough to ignore that. I had Alec Thomas at 240. So Thomas is a guy that's moved. Yeah, uh, he's definitely moving up for but, you a ton. But I don't think that I, I saw him a lot. So I think that's what, what sort of changed my opinion. Louis Oviedo is 254. He probably moves up a little bit. Um, I might even move up Joey Wentz. J.B. Bukowskis at 262. He's moving up like a ton because he's finally back and he's throwing. And he looked awesome. I watched that stuff the other night. I wrote it up for my last uh, Rasball post. And he's a good Gabriel Arias at 266. Do you think I should be maybe 20 <sighs> spots higher on him, or do you think yeah. it's a comfortable ranking? I feel like it's I not. I think top 250 is fine. I think even right around top 200. It's Again, it's another yeah. huge investment. It's defensive-based because he's been so good defensively. He still has to figure out his approach, but I Eric, think your ranking is fine on him. Eric Pardino, I'd probably move up a little bit. Um, Will, William Contreras, I'd probably move up from 284. Um, yeah, this is going to go on forever. Yeah, There's a lot of fine. guys that probably move up a little bit because that's what the – the rankings are four, but, uh, I like it. yeah, I think I hit on a lot of the guys that sort of jump out for me. There's obviously guys like Miguel Vargas, who I didn't rank, who yeah, would certainly be guys there. coming in. Yeah. The yeah. other guy would be a uh, big lefty from the Indians organization. I think we're going to talk a lot about in the off season. Uh, Sam Henty, Hentages, Hentages, that, that's okay. H E N T E T G E S. He is uh, six foot six, 240 pound lefty. That's uh, you know fastball, curveball, slider. I think. Oh man, I like it, Ralph. Well, that was good. That was a good show. I feel like the mailbag was fun. We cut out a question or two there, just because we we went a little longer than we thought, but we speeded up at the end. I thought that was good. good. Successful mailbag show, first one ever. We'll probably do another one maybe beginning of the season when we have a little more activity. Yeah. Oh, maybe in the off season. But... I think we'll have a lot of off season time. Yeah, like... that's true. Because we're going to do some system stuff, but I, I think we're going to change. You know, as we move more of the content over to, um, you know prospects live um i think uh we're going to be doing a lot of system podcasts anywhere over there and system write-ups so we'll maybe more focus on some questions some general conversations and stuff like that and keep it uh more focused on what's happening at that point in time and just you know talk about what we want so who knows you know i like it Maybe we will get into some mailbag stuff. Maybe this can become a weekly segment, too. Who knows? It's fun. fun. I like this a lot. It's great. It's, it's quick, too. I like keeping them concise. 
to all the listeners, thanks for joining us. As always, we will see you guys next week on another fantastic episode of the Raswell Prospect Podcast. For Ralph and Lance, take it easy, everybody. Enjoy your weekends. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.